Last week, CB shared with us the importance of living lives of readiness and faithfulness in case Jesus comes sooner than we have anticipated. And in chapter 24, we we see the faithless servant boldly sins, believing he can put off changing his ways because he thinks his master will be long in coming. And the wise servant, however, does not delay his duty since he does not know when his master will return. He refuses to be caught off guard. He doesn't put off loving service to his master because today might be his last chance to do what is right. We're going to continue on the topic of eschatology, the study of the last days. And today we're going to be exhorted by Christ to be ready if he delays, if his delay is longer than what we expect. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. CB, could I have that water? Would that be at all possible? Thank you so much. I am thirsty. The title of my message is Ready or Not, The Parable of the Ten Virgins. Now, I, I gotta, I gotta share something. One of the most stressful things for me as someone who prepares a sermon is thinking of a title for a sermon. I mean, all these preachers out there have such great titles for their sermons. So I'm reading this thing and I'm like, wow, you know, I could do like a virgin. I could do, you know, I'm thinking of all these things. I'm like, well, I don't want to offend anybody if I put that one down or ready or not, here he comes, you know, or, but it's so serious. You know, the topic is so serious and I'm like, what Lord, you know, do I have to have a title for this thing? But I have one and it's ready or not the parable of the 10 virgins. And we're still in the Olivet Discourse. That is, Jesus is teaching on the Mount of Olives. And he has been teaching his disciples to be ever so vigilant for his return. Now, we're going to read that Jesus stresses the need for preparation before his coming, using a powerful parable to make his point. So let's read the passage beginning in verse 1 of chapter 25. Jesus is saying, he says... Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came Also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that we are here today and we have the opportunity to hear your word to be challenged by your word, to be edified by your word, to be convicted by your word, and to trust your word. 
Help us, O Lord, as we examine the scriptures today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Ready or not, the parable of the ten virgins. Let's look at verses 1 through 5. Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps as the bridegroom was delayed. They all became drowsy and slept. In this instance, the term virgins is synonymous with bride, bridesmaids. Back in ancient times, bridesmaids would come to the home of the bride and there they would wait along with the bride for the groom to arrive at the bride's, at the bride's house. No one knew exactly when the groom was going to arrive, but when he did arrive, there was jubilant celebration, which included ceremonies of very various kinds, followed by a grand procession from the bride's home to the groom's home, where there would be then this extraordinary feast. Being in the bridal party was not a task lightly taken, but was an honor and a privilege. I had the privilege of attending the wedding of Ethan and Annie Prouse last weekend, and it was an, it was amazing how seriously the bridesmaids and the groomsmen took their responsibilities to serve both Ethan and Annie. The groomsmen prayed for Ethan before he came down the aisle. The bridesmen bridesmaids were there to serve in any way they could. The maid of honor was really attentive to the bride and 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 really focused on her role, fixing the train of Annie's dress, holding her bouquet, having Ethan's ring ready to give to Annie to put on Ethan's finger. And everyone in the party served with humility and joy, yet they were very serious about the roles that they were playing as a part of the party. And it was really neat to watch the bridesmaids walk down the aisle to meet the groom, just like we see here in this parable. And these ten bridesmaids in the parable wanted to meet the groom and they wanted to welcome the groom. And in some ways they were very similar. They all intend on meeting the bridegroom and escort him to where the festivities were to take place. But not only that, they are all expecting the bridegroom to come before the day ends. But not one of them knows exactly when he would be arriving. And they're also looking forward to take part in the marriage feast. So outwardly, they are very similar to one another. They look alike outwardly. But just because they may look the same on the outside, doesn't mean that they were the same on the inside. So what does this parable mean? The symbolism of the parable is pointing to the great marriage feast of the Lamb of God At the end of the age. Revelation chapter 19 verse 7 and 9 says. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. And the angel said to me write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me these are the true words of God. So this is when Christ comes for his bride, the church. But now the more difficult question is this. Who are these virgins? Who are these bridesmaids and what do they represent? What is interesting here is that if you look at the context, these bridesmaids 
were a picture of those who at least outwardly were followers of God. They are representative of church members, of those who profess to believe and trust in the risen Christ. People who consider themselves to be loyal disciples. But as you'll see, although all ten virgins were in the bridal party and all ten of them went out to meet the groom, there was an astonishing difference between them as there is among people today who are truly born again and those who are Christian by name only. Those who may attend a local church, those who may worship God, but they only worship with their mouths, but their hearts are far from him. Jesus spoke of the wheat and the tares growing together in the same field. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, he said, He put another parable for him, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his man, men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. So there are wheat and tares in every local church. Believers and unbelievers. Someone once asked me before I was pastoring here at Christ Community why I preach the gospel so much when I preach on a Sunday morning. Well, first, as Christians, we need to hear the gospel. It edifies us. It encourages us. It reminds us of our daily need of the Savior. It renews our hope in Christ. It reminds us that we as Christians have been adopted by the Father through the atoning work of the Son. Then, there are unsaved among the saved in the congregation. There are wheat and tares in every church. There are those who say they are Christians who are not Christians. This is why the gospel is preached every Sunday. Jesus says in verse 2, Five of them were foolish and five were wise. So the bridesmaids are divided into two groups of people in this parable. You have the five foolish bridesmaids and the five wise bridesmaids. Now, the original language is very interesting. Jesus uses the word sensible I should do that at this side. Sensible and stupid is what the literal meaning is. So Jesus is calling people sensible and stupid in this parable. Why are they worthy to be called sensible and why are they worthy to be called stupid? Let's look at verses 3 and 4. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil. With their lamps. Some were prepared. And some were not. Can you imagine going to a wedding celebration as part of the wedding party. Without making the necessary preparations for that joyous occasion. 
It's like a modern day bridesmaid not going to the rehearsal the night before and not knowing where she's supposed to stand, what she's supposed to do in regards to her responsibilities. She just shows up the moment before she's to walk down the aisle and is utterly confused and this then wreaks havoc amongst the whole wedding party. She doesn't count the cost of being in the processional and is not ready for it. And that is exactly how these foolish virgins were acting stupidly, according to Jesus. In Palestine, during the days of Jesus, people would use small clay lamps that held a small amount of oil. I have a friend of mine in St. Louis, Missouri, who collects artifacts. And I had the opportunity to see one of these lamps from Jesus' day. He showed it to me. It was amazing. And, and how they would put oil in these little lamps. But these lamps would burn until the oil was gone, consumed by the fire. So if someone was going on a long journey at night and knew that he would need light, he would be sure to fill his lamp with oil. And he would also bring extra oil in case he ran out. So what we see here in this parable is the fact that the foolish bridesmaids did not bring sufficient oil for their lamps or their torches. It was as if they were going for a walk at night with their iPhones, wanting to use the flashlight function, but they didn't charge their phones and the battery life was critical. I've done that. I've acted stupidly. The phone would only work for a little bit, leaving them in complete darkness shortly after they began their walk. The worst is when you want to take a picture and the phone doesn't work because the battery died. The virgins lacked what was essential for the trip. They lacked what was needed to meet the groom. Jesus continues in verse 5. He says, As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. There was a delay in the groom's arrival. Jesus doesn't explain in the parable why the groom was delayed, but because of the delay, the virgins feel tired, and so they go to sleep. Now, there's nothing wrong with sleeping. They had a very exciting day. They got dressed up for a wedding. They packed their lamps or torches. They made the trip to the home where they were waiting. They must have been very tired and very exhausted. And so all ten slept because sleep is a normal rhythm of life. Sleeping is a good thing. Our bodies need it. And just a thought here. We're not called by God to go up to the mountaintops and gaze for his appearing while neglecting the everyday duties of life. We are to watch, but that doesn't mean we neglect our families and our jobs to do that. We are called to do our work and then to rest and then to do our work. Jesus said in chapter 24, verse 45, Blessed is the servant whom the master finds doing his work when he comes. That work would consist of providing for our families by having a job, but we're also to be proclaiming Christ to the world and uh, discipling the church when he comes. Let's look at verses 6 through 12. In verses 6 and 7, Jesus says, But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all the virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps. Now Jesus doesn't say who does the shouting 
in the parable. But we do read in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, that the Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. In the parable, however, when the bridesmaids heard the shout, when the arrival of the bridegroom was upon them, all of them scrambled to light their lamps or torches so they could meet him. And that is when the foolish or stupid bridesmaids realized their very massive mistake. There's a mad rush to get those lamps lit. All of them wanting their lamps to look bright and beautiful for the groom. But something doesn't go right for the five foolish virgins. Their lamps start to flicker and dim and soon begin to die out. And they're shocked. They're afraid and they're completely helpless. John Piper states, Five of them did not take seriously their calling to give light. And they neglected the only means by which they could do what they were called to do. They took no oil. They only had lamps. Their job was to provide light, and they had lamps without oil, candles without wicks, torches without fire, light bulbs without electricity. And there is a moment of agonizing grief and panic among the virgins. And look what happens in verses 8 and 9. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answer saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. The wise virgins were prepared. They weren't being selfish or rude in this moment, denying the others their oil. They had brought just enough oil for their lamps for the procession. And so they lit them immediately because they carefully planned out the event. Though they did not exactly know when the groom was coming. But the foolish virgins, they had no way to light their lamps. And in utter desperation, they are begging for oil. This is a parable about being ready for the bridegroom and the wise virgins were ready. And they counseled the foolish virgins to go to the merchants who sold oil and to buy some. There are two things here that I think we can look at. First, no one, absolutely no one can go to heaven on the genuine faith of someone else. Everyone must believe in Christ on his own. Children cannot rely on their parents' faith. Parents cannot rely on their children's faith. Husbands cannot rely on their wife's faith. Wives cannot rely on their husband's faith. Each one of us must possess saving faith in order to be accepted by God. I will not go to heaven because I am a member of Christ Community Church. I will not go to heaven because I'm affiliated with a family of doctrinally sound churches. I will not go to heaven because I am a pastor. 
I will not go to heaven because I hang out with other Christians. I will only go to heaven because I have repented of my treachery against Almighty God. Because the Holy Spirit has opened my blind eyes to see what a wicked man that I am. I am brought to my knees in great sorrow, begging God for mercy, confessing my iniquities before Him and renouncing them. I can only go to heaven because I have entrusted my life to the risen Christ who took upon Himself the wrath that I deserved and died a sinner death so that I may have everlasting fellowship with the father denominations cannot save me being a member of a local church will not save you being baptized in water does not save you ask the thief on the cross he got saved but he didn't get water baptized but it is a command to get water baptized that's the norm only Jesus can save One scholar says, this is meant to teach the impossibility of borrowing faith. It's meant to teach the impossibility of borrowing the power of the Holy Spirit. The impossibility of borrowing obedience and faithfulness. You cannot borrow my faith to get to heaven. I cannot borrow your faith to get to heaven. I can't say, well, my mom and dad are Christians, so I'm going to be with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Each man must give an account. And secondly, as Christians, we must not give up imploring people to repent before it's too late. The wise bridesmaids counseled the foolish ones to get more oil. We must continue to urge people to be prepared for when Jesus comes back, whenever that might be. It could be in our lifetime. It could be in a million years. Only God knows. But let us continue to warn people to be ready for his return. We must tell our unsaved children, our loved ones, the world that we cannot have faith for them and for us. We cannot have spiritual life for them and for us. We can't give them obedience and faith. Only God can. You've heard that saying, oh, well, tell tell the man upstairs something good for me. I have nothing to tell him for you. Because you're not good. And he's there to say, oh, John, because you're my son, I'm going to go ahead and let him in, too. I'm going to let your wife in. I'm going to let your children in, too, because you're a Christian. It doesn't work that way. Let's look at verse 10. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. This is very sad. Because once that door is shut, it cannot be opened again. The foolish virgins were panicked. They hurried to find extra oil and missed the groom. And while the wise virgins joined the groom in an honorable procession to his home, and there they began to celebrate... The door was shut after they entered in. At this point, the parable gradually leaves the hearer and reality begins to surface. And Jesus continues in verses 11 and 12. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. 
the foolish virgins got their oil and then rushed to the home of the groom only to be disappointed that they missed his arrival and the procession, but they were still looking forward to the celebration. But when they arrived, they were refused entry by the groom himself. The point of this parable is that Jesus said the kingdom of God is like this. When Jesus come, the people in the church will be excited. There will be care group leaders, children's ministry leaders, deacons, pastors, faithful tithers and church attenders, church members. But unfortunately, many of them will have no oil. They will not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. And all the unconverted will be left out. Second Timothy 2.19 states that the Lord knows who are his. And he knows who are not his. And he is coming back. And many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I teach Sunday school in your name? Didn't I serve as a deacon in your name? Wasn't I part of the land and building committee in your name? Didn't I pastor in your name? Wasn't I a care group leader in your name? I set up chairs and I took them down in your name. And he'll say, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. This is terrifying. People who think they are saved but are not. They have lamps. They have religion. They have form. But they take no care for what is inside. They carry the lamp. They keep it shiny. Others look at them and assume they have life, faith, and have been regenerated by the Spirit. And all they have is an empty lamp. And now they're about to face one who sees right through their lamp. And he says, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. These are people who may have experienced, as Thomas Watson once wrote, counterfeit repentance. Those who fall away after professing faith. They appear to be thriving believers until maybe persecution reveals their true colors or they're strangled by the cares of this world and the love of money. Or perhaps they've experienced what is called easy believism, a watered down gospel. They have heard that the gospel was just that Jesus wants to be their friend or the gospel is that God has a wonderful plan for their lives or that God wants to make them rich and prosperous in this lifetime or that God is going to heal their every physical ailment if they only ask him into their heart. Some scholars state that this man-centered gospel began to emerge in the 20th century and perhaps its origins were with people like Charles Finney. In much of these presentations, there is no mention of sin. There's no mention of wrath. There's no mention of the sin-bearing death of Christ on the cross and his life-giving resurrection. So many people actually believe they're converted when they're not. How do you know if you are genuinely converted? John 5, 1 John 5, 1. 
everyone who trusts that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation? 1 John 1, 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Does your life show a pattern of habitual sin or of repenting of sin and striving, desiring to walk in the light? 1 John 3, 14 and 15. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Do you love other Christians in concrete ways that show the reality of your faith? Self-deceit is very real, my friend. And even Christians are prone to it. Jesus urged his disciples in verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus is saying, be spiritually awake. Be alive and alert. Every one of the bridesmaids assumed that they would be welcomed by the groom and would participate fully in the great feast. And sadly, half of them were deceived. May I urge you today to examine your heart. Can you imagine if half the people here in this room today were the foolish virgins? Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 14. Paul encouraged the Corinthian church. He said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Is the faith you profess genuine? Or are you only a Christian in name? So what are we learning about? Although outwardly these bridesmaids may look the same, there is an essential difference among them. Not all who come through these doors every Sunday, who make public professions of faith, are going to share in the blessings of Christ's return. 2 Timothy 3.5 states, they, may have an, they have an appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. Have you genuinely believed or are you self-deceived? Josh, will you and the team come up, CB? Will you, will you come up and when I'm through, would you come up and say a word, a couple words and then close in prayer?
there is a long span of time that will elapse between Christ's ascension to heaven and the moment of his return. Christ's return will be sudden. It will be audible and it will be visible. Preparedness cannot be transferred from one person to the next. And for those who are not ready at his coming, there will be no second chance. But right now, you have the opportunity. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that time of refreshing may come from the Lord. Are you prepared for him or not? Are you the wise bridesmaid or are you the foolish bridesmaid? The only way to be prepared is to renounce your lifestyle of sin and to entrust your life to Christ alone for salvation. CB. Thank you. Thank you so much, John. John asked me if I would just share a few words pastorally in closing. I think he really sensed just the the gravity of this passage of scripture. So I agreed to do that. And I just appreciated his leadership there. And, um, and I was just thinking throughout this message, I, I, I totally want, I concur with you, John, on that being pastors is not going to ensure that John and I are going to get into heaven and want you to know that I, I wholeheartedly, uh, believe that as well. There's no, there's no act of service, nothing that we can do. Only looking to Christ in repentance and in faith and his death on the cross on our behalf and relying on Christ's perfect righteousness will ensure that we can walk out of here assured of our salvation. Josh is going to close us in just a moment with a wonderful hymn that we can all sing entitled, He Will Hold Me Fast. And God will hold us fast. I want to encourage all of us, brothers and sisters, to look at passages like this in your Bible and see the goodness of God to you in it. These warning passages are God's means of grace to keep us by his grace and to continue to hold us fast. In hearing a message like this, I feel greatly stirred inside. It doesn't shake me off of my assurance of salvation. I know Jesus has loved me and he's died for me. He rose from the dead for me. And for those who are true believers in this room, this passages like this aren't meant to shake you off of the assurance of your salvation. Quite the contrary. However, 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. And it's speaking to the church. 
It's not a bad thing to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Not all self-examination is bad. I think that there can be an aversion in us to want to look internally or to experience the fear of the Lord. But the reality of it is, if I walk out of here and I go home, and as I'm reflecting on this passage, if I'm asking questions like John just asked to me and to you from the sermon, CB, have you genuinely believed or are you self-deceived? And in processing that question, I fall on my knees and begin to weep and say, Jesus, I, I know you love me and you gave yourself for me and I know that I'm saved and know you died for me. But Lord, as I examine myself right now, I see so much remaining sin in my life. Lord, am I repentant toward that sin? If I really turned away from my old life or am I just a self-deceived man who just, it's all just like John said, form. It's outward form that looks good to everybody, including all the believers, but Inside, I'm, I'm, I'm like dead men's bones. Is that me, God? Is that me? Oh, Lord, let it not be me. Lord, I, I trust in you again. I repent of all my sins again. I, I want you to know, Lord, I love you. And Lord, but if there's any wicked way in me, search me, oh God, and, and lead me in the way everlasting. That type of urgency, brothers and sisters, I really believe that type of spirit to be a healthy one. And not contrary to deep, vibrant assurance of salvation. It is possible to walk assured, secure in the everlasting, steadfast love of God. And yet also tremble at God's word when we read it ourselves in our quiet times and devotional life, and also when we hear it preached. We are so burdened here as your pastors to make sure that we don't just preach the easy passages. That's why we walk through verse by verse through books of the Bible, because there are passages that just lead to rapturous delight in God and Fill your heart with song and fill your heart with assurance so clearly. And, and we want to herald that with all of our hearts. And then there's times where Jesus speaks in this way. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to us this morning to examine ourselves. Because brothers and sisters, this is God's love to us. This is his mercy to us to examine ourselves. And if, as John mentioned, what if half of us were the foolish virgins, wouldn't it be awesome if of those half, and I'm not saying that's the case, I don't believe it is actually, but if it was the case, wouldn't it be so kind of God to sweep them into the kingdom today through the Spirit's work, through the Word in this passage? Teens, this ought to unsettle you. All, not all unsettledness is wrong. 
it can lead you to Jesus and to the foot of the cross and to eternal life. Adults who've lived your entire Christian lives, like John said, in a church, are you relying on that to get you into heaven? Or would you say, no, I'm relying on Jesus Christ and his merits and his merits alone. And I know that I've got that flask of oil with me because the Holy Spirit has dwelt in this sinful heart. And even though I still struggle every day with remaining indwelling sin, the Spirit himself testifies with my spirit that I'm a child of God. Romans 8, 16. Do you have that, brothers and sisters? The Holy Spirit testifying with your spirit that you are a child of God. I believe the Lord wants to minister assurance even as we close in worship. He wants you to look to Christ with desperation, never taking the cross for granted, but to lay hold of your Savior with repentance and faith afresh this morning and say, Lord, if I don't have you, Lord, I perish. If I don't have you, Jesus, I've got no sacrifice for sins. All of my hope is in you, Christ. And I sing. Because I know you're going to hold me fast. And I sing with desperation. I sing with trembling. But as Psalm chapter 2 says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. It's possible to do both. To serve him with fear and simultaneously rejoice with trembling. Church, as we close in worship, may we do that Christ community. Let us somberly and expectantly ask for the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts afresh with fresh assurance as we close in worship. And I pray the Holy Spirit ministers to all of us. So would you please stand and let us sing. Sing with personal faith upward to your precious God and Savior and be comforted with God's unfailing love that he has loved you so much that he sent his only son for you.